Elena Becker, and this is P.S., the Puget Sound podcast, where I'm talking with members of our campus community about their Puget Sound experiences. Today we're recording from Moonyard Studio in Tacoma, Washington, and our guest is Yuki Hashimoto, a junior from Englewood, Colorado. I should also note for any regular listeners that we're going to be taking some time off for Thanksgiving, so we'll be back shortly after the holidays. Yuki, thanks for joining me on the podcast. Thank you for inviting me. I'm delighted to have you. Wonderful. Um, I want to kick things off by we've just been talking about while we sat down that you are from the Englewood in Colorado, yes. not in California. Not in California. What about growing up in Colorado or about your experiences in high school brought you to Puget Sound? Um, I definitely think like the similarity in terms of like the vibe you get, mm-hmm. especially growing up in Englewood, Colorado, which is... Like a very Colorado as a whole is like a very homogenous um, state. Um, in like basically every way. In every way. Yeah. Um, although there are differing opinions, especially mm-hmm. but especially where I grew up, which is like the Denver metropolitan area. Yeah. It is a lot of um, more left leaning democratic um, area, which is like kind of fun to have. But um, the high school that I went to also had a lot of. Um, right-leaning um, students right? because it was, like, a wealthier neighborhood. So, like, a lot of students were – or a lot of people were um, financially – Sure. Conservative. Um, conservative. Yeah. Well, so I just came back from Colorado. I don't know if you know this, but I was no, in I Denver last weekend. Really? Yeah. How did I you like it? With your people. Well, I love – is it – so here's my first question. Is it Colorado or Colorado? It's Colorado. Colorado. Okay. It's not Colorado. So <laughs> <let> me, <laughs> okay, well, let me challenge that because mm-hmm. I was meeting with high school students. I was mm-hmm. there working, and people were saying Colorado, and I felt self-conscious. I felt mm. like they were going to know I was an outsider if mm-hmm. I – because I want to say Colorado. Mm-hmm. That's right. Well, it really, it's been shifting. <laughs> There's been a shift in the accent because right. there are so many people like moving into Colorado mm-hmm. nowadays. Um, and they're getting more of the Southern twang type of deal where it's just Colorado. You think that's like a, Southern twang is it's, the it's, Colorado? I, I think it's more Southern. Because you know? a couple I feel people like, said it and I, I definitely noticed it. Like it wasn't mm-hmm. what I expected to hear. Mm-hmm. And that threw me off. In Denver. Yeah. The it city well, part. That makes sense. Yeah, not Inglewood. Not Inglewood. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, in Denver. But anyway, mm-hmm. the reason that I brought that up is to say that I was in Colorado, mm-hmm. and many of the people that I talked to mentioned feeling like there is some cultural overlap between that part of the country and the Pacific Northwest. Definitely. Um, I think in terms of the laid-backness, yeah. the more easygoing... Like, it's a big city, Denver, but it's a small town feeling Mm. in that it's, like, a slowed down version of what you can see in, like, New York or Boston. So, in that way, it's, like, a more toned down, laid back kind of feeling that, like, really overlaps with the Pacific Northwest. You feel like that's what your experience here has been like, too. Definitely. Although... The ocean is something new. Right. <laughs> I sometimes forget that I don't have, like, there's a a body of water right. bigger than a lake <laughs> that I can just walk to and smell the salt water. Did it throw you off it when did. you first got here? It yeah. Did. And being from Colorado, I, I always know that west is where the mountains are. Right. 
but Mount Rainier is definitely out west <laughs> of where I am. And it's in like this weird northeast type of direction. So I can't just point to a mountain and be like, that's where one of the cardinal cardinal directions are. <laughs> and in fact, you can't really use the water for that here either because no. in Tacoma, it sort of wraps around the city. Definitely. So you're mm-hmm. you're tricked in two ways. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I don't know if you know this about me, but I'm from Seattle. Mm. And so, and I did not think I was going to go to college this close to home. But when I came to college here, like I didn't have to do any environmental adjusting. I see. The weather was the same for me. Mm-hmm. I was used to the ocean being here and it still was. Right. Right. I didn't think twice about the mountains. So I'm always mm-hmm. curious about for people who've come from other places, what do you notice when you get to the Pacific Northwest that's like, whoa, that's not the way things are at home? Yeah. Um, well, I have two things. Mm-hmm. One pro and one con. Okay. <laughs> um, I'll start with the pro. Please. Um, the very first thing that I noticed when I came from Colorado is how much, like, there's different shades of green here. Mm. It was, like, a new discovery for me. It's like being open to a new world where you have more colors, more vibrancy, and more, like, lush forests. Mm-hmm. So, like, in, in Colorado, especially during, like, the fall, winter times, everything's kind of grayed out. Yeah. Um, although the aspen trees are like vibrantly red. I was going to say people talk about the aspens. Right. Yeah. But But, for a set period of time. Right. But here, everything's just green. Yeah. (laughs) In so many different shades of color. Like you have like deep green, which is like nothing I've like seen because the green in like Colorado is just more lighter tone. Yeah. And a little washed out. That's, um, that's a great answer to that question because that's also something that I've never thought about before. Yeah. Like, of course, moss is a different color mm-hmm. green than a Douglas fir tree, which yeah. is a different color green than a sword fern. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. Also, um, the tree names, all the trees, like different spruces <laughs> and different evergreens. Yeah. That's something new. <laughs> really? Yeah. That. What um, is it like where you're from? Colorado, there's mostly like um, spruce trees. And that's what and, people like, say. That's what you say. Just like yeah. evergreen. And right. you just... And capture all of the evergreens. Oh yeah, people are specific here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Douglas fir. And that, I'm like, that's the one. <laughs> and yeah. I'm like, what? What even is Douglas? I, I still can't tell the difference. Like, you can't identify one. No. Oh, like, we should take a stroll around campus sometime and all. Yeah, that'd be really great. Yeah, because the difference between a Douglas fir tree and a cedar tree is mm-hmm. a good thing for someone who's spent years in the Pacific Northwest. Right. To know. <laughs> and uh, and people tell me like, look at the pine cones, and I'm like, what's different in the pine cones? <laughs> I just see a pine cone. <laughs> Sometimes too you're looking at a fur cone and you won't it's helpful yeah. to know the difference yeah. don't they have like little like furry things is that why they call it fur, sort of well they come from fur trees mm. is the i think the main reason i'm really out of my depth here so anybody yeah. with any real knowledge who listens to this mm-hmm. um but i believe it's because they come from fur trees and then also if you look at a fur cone the like out from under the layers these little feathery things do mm-hmm. sort of stick out oh i see um, there's a fable about it being a mouse that ran into a fur cone to hide in a forest fire. I've definitely it, heard that. It does sort of look like the back feet and the tail yeah, of a mouse are like yeah. sticking out of these little fur mm-hmm. cones. So there's all sorts of possibilities. <laughs> <laughs> so a lot that's, of lore behind the... <laughs> indeed, behind the natural world <laughs> natural in the world. Pacific Northwest. So the shades of green are one, and then mm-hmm. you said you had another, too. Yes, the con, mm-hmm. the rain. Ugh. <laughs> yeah, Colorado, 300 days says. of sunshine. That's what everybody said to me. Yep. Yeah. It's one of the top selling points of Colorado. Mm-hmm. Um, although, like, um, Colorado does get snow and it does get cold. 
but it's also like a different type of cold from mm. Washington or Pacific yeah. Northwest cold. And that like because it rains and because it's so cloudy that the the cold just pierces through all of your layers and clothes. Here? Here. Oh, see, so maybe because I grew up here, I think the opposite. I feel colder when I go someplace mm. where it's clear. Mm, I see. And because I think in my mind, and maybe in science, who knows, <laughs> um, the clouds hold heat. Right. And so I feel cozier if That's it's cloudy. Fair. I mean, like, I think temperature-wise. Yes. That is true. But, um, so, like, if you go to Colorado and, like, you're outside with your, like, jacket or your coat, I usually wear, like, a sweater. Yeah. The only thing that's, like, cold on your, like, body is just your face. Right. Because it's just a dry, cold. Sure. Touching your face. But, like, your body's pretty warm. Okay. Here, if you don't have a raincoat on while it's raining well, that's and cold, true. you just yeah. get soaked. You need to be appropriately just, prepared. Right. <laughs> it's very windy <laughs> you, when that, it's rainy. <laughs> that's a fair point. I'll, I'll mm-hmm. accept that analysis. Yeah. So during my, like, freshman year especially, I... Did not know what to expect. Did not have a raincoat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, you didn't come with a no, raincoat? No, I didn't come with a raincoat. Oh, because I feel like usually people go the op. People show up with like a raincoat, rain boots, yeah, umbrellas, yeah. more stuff than you yeah. need. Right? Waterproof hats. Definitely. Right. That's what you would naturally But you, you journeyed boldly. Yeah. I just kind of, because I was like, you know, like where I grew up, it's just common to just see people in like shorts and sweater. and Sure. 20 degrees weather, right. snow all over, just like trudging through. So I thought that was like what people did here. <laughs> nope. Nope. <laughs> they have raincoats. <laughs> so the first thing that I did <laughs> that I came when I came here during the winter was to buy a, a raincoat. Right. That's a good was, Pacific Northwest yeah. thing to do. It's a really just plunged me into the <laughs> sound, you know. <laughs> what else when you first got here were you expecting? Like, did you have sort of a vision of what you were going to study or the things you would be involved mm-hmm. in when you came to Puget Sound? And then is that at all close to what happened? Yeah. So I came in with an idea about going into pre-dentistry, mm-hmm. or like something dental work. Yeah. So... I was already on like the STEM track. Right. But I didn't really quite, I wasn't really quite sure about what type of like, what specific major I wanted to go into within the STEM. And where did the pre-dentistry idea even come from? Is someone in your family a dentist? No, actually, um, I, when I was a little infant, Mm -hmm. I had a, I got baby botulism. Okay. um, Which is uh, like not very common when I was an infant. But there was like a test drug being developed in California, and one of the anesthesiologists at the time was adamant about using this test or like knew about the test drug. Um, so I got to be one of the. Um, it was already in like the human test phase. Sure. So I got to be one of the like the um, test subjects. Yeah. I guess, and it was successful, and I got to meet this um, anesthesiologist later in my life, and got to shadow his job. Um, so I was already into like looking into like the medical field. Yeah. Um, but the anesthesiologist's like lifestyle is a little bit, was a little bit like daunting for me, especially with like having someone's life at your fingertips. Right. Ha- like they, they wake up or they don't. Yeah. Or yeah. they don't. And right. especially with like, um, during surgery, during operation, if the patient were to, um, decease, Usually, like, the anesthesiologist is the first to be sued in the case. Oh, And okay. because of that pressure, a lot of anesthesiologists go through 
sadly go through like depression sure. and like difficult times. I didn't realize that was such a hard job. Yeah, yeah. I I only discovered that once I like job shadowed and right. got to have a conversation with the anesthesiologist. But I really still wanted to work with anesthetics, so I was looking into like different types of profession that still worked with anesthesiologists mm-hmm. and dentistry came to mind and and I got to like I already was like I already had a dentist that I was working with. Right. Like, so it seemed like a cool job. So you come to college with sort of dentistry in mind, but mm-hmm. not a roadmap to not that? Is that fair right. to say? Yeah. And and so what happens next? So I went into the pre-health advisory mm-hmm. um, on campus uh, with Jennifer and Joyce, mm-hmm. uh, two professors. One of them's uh, specifically for pre-health advising, and Joyce is a bio professor that also helps out with um, pre-health. But I got to talk with them, and they suggested, like, either biology or chemistry would be, like, a good way into, like, um, getting into dental school. Yeah. Although they did, they did also say that, like, any, really any major, as long as you hit the prerequisite courses for those, like, dentistry schools, sure. you can get into. If you had wanted to major in Spanish right. and right. just take a lot of biology classes on the right. side, right. you would have been okay, too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So... Um, that's, that's actually a really good point. I'm also like minoring in Spanish. So <laughs> I actually didn't know that, yeah. <laughs> but my telepathic skills. <laughs> so. Yeah. So I'm minoring in Spanish and business. Um, I think, and like talking with like Joyce and Jennifer, I got to like really like come up with like a roadmap of like how I wanted to get to that end goal of being a dentist. Um, and I decided on chemistry. I took both mm. biology courses and chemistry courses my first year. Um, and it really opened up to, like, what kind of things are possible within those fields. Um, not just in order to get to um, the dentistry school that I want to go to, but actually within the field, like, what things are, like, interesting and not interesting to me. And, and what did you find out? What do you like? In chemistry, um, in chemistry, I just like I just love how you can like manipulate like mo- molecules that you can't even see, mm. and like create something that is more or less useful. Right. Like a lot of drugs are like um, like made through chemistry, and like biochemistry is especially so. Um, but in biology, it's more about like the system of mm. like ecology, which is very difficult to understand, at least for me, because of <laughs> The amount of it's like clockwork, but if a clock was working without like a like a originating mechanism, you know, sort it's of just like I'm, everything's like moving together. Yeah, but there's no like straightforward path to in. like you can you can start somewhere and like end up in a circle sure. and come back to that same place, which I was it threw me for a loop. Right, <laughs> honestly, but in chemistry doesn't work that way. Yeah, it's just very straightforward. You like if you use this small molecule and then combine it with this molecule, you get this molecule which can that can be used for certain biological pathways. And are you in addition to your I don't know if it's appropriate to call it technical training, but your academic training? Mm-hmm. Um are you doing anything or pursuing anything to sort of drill down more on is dentistry really what you want to do in the same way that you did with anesthesiology? Yeah. So I have been interning and job shadowing um, for a couple of years now. Um, this last summer, I got to 
be in the RISE program, which is a um, what is it? experiential learning, which is wonderful because you get to look at a specific um, career path that you want, you may or may not want to go into, and have a course that like really builds alongside with it. And you should go ahead and describe in more detail what Rise is because I don't know that we've talked about it before. Yeah, so Rise is um, specifically catered towards like sophomore years um, who want to explore those future careers, mm-hmm. and they start off with like helping you build like an online um, portfolio of like what you who you are and like what you want to do. And you do that during the um, semester, whether that be fall semester or spring, spring semester. But in the summer, you are like, you dive into this internship that you've been working towards your, um, during the RISE class, classroom setting. And then you go through the internship. But as you go through, you have like specific learning goal- goals right. that you set beforehand um, to like gain the most out of your internship. And I'll just say as a sidebar, one of the things I really like about this program mm-hmm. is something that I see reflected in the college applications that I read, mm-hmm. which is it is really hard to live every moment of your life and then figure out how to tell a story about it in a page and a half. Yeah. So if you've already done some of the work of thinking about how do I articulate who I am, what are some of the big threads in my life, and where does this big experience that I'm having fit in it. And if you're able to say that, that becomes a much more compelling story than if you find yourself in the position of having to say, I did this internship and there's a period at the end of that sentence. Right. Right. right? If you can articulate the value of it and right. where it goes in the rest of your life, it, it becomes a much more powerful tool. Right. It is it's honestly like if you can pinpoint a specific experience that really like was formative in your choice to like picking the school you are applying to, then it's a really major plus, yeah. especially for getting admitted into those graduate programs. Yeah. And so what were you doing for your RISE internship? So I took a couple internships. Um, I took an internship in Parkland okay. at a children's dental clinic. It's called Linquist Dental Clinics for Children. It's a nonprofit organization. And Parkland's just a little bit south of Tacoma for yeah. anybody who doesn't. It's right. adjacent. <laughs> so. Right. So I interned there over the summer. I also job shadowed in New Mexico oh. at a maxillofacial oral surgeon Okay. Um, in Albuquerque. I, that came through like a family friend connection, Yeah. which was really nice. But the Linquist one I got through um, just looking around Tacoma, seeing what the community was up to. And I don't think that I know anything about nonprofit dentistry. So mm-hmm. will you explain to me a little bit more... Is that in a tangible way different than any other dentist I might visualize? Yes. Um, that's actually, I literally put this in my RISE um, portfolio. This is perfect. It's like a, I made a comparative of like what it looks like to have like a private practice versus a nonprofit yeah. practice um, for dentistry. But in terms of nonprofit, um, the patient care side of it is more or less the same with private practice and that you are really caring for this like the patient that you're working with and like you're trying to give back to the community. Um, in nonprofits, there's there's more emphasis on giving backside. Hmm. But um, the difference comes in the way they function as a business. Um, the nonprofit organization really is donation-based. Hmm. So it's really reaching out to the community, saying, hey, 
there are specific groups of people, in my case, like the children of Tacoma, who really need dental care for, especially with like, dent, like dental health is like really important in like academics, surprisingly. Oh, I have no, I don't know anything <laughs> about this. Go on. <laughs> because if you aren't able to have a, like sufficient dental hygiene, yeah, it can impede in your learning and that like you'll, It'll distract from your coursework if you have like a cavity. Sure. Um, if you don't have, um, if you have like plaque buildup and like gingivitis, um, it can impede from your like physical health as well. Yeah. Um, you're more prone to getting colds and flus, hmm. leading to absence from class. Absence from class, right? Wow. Okay. So, um, in that way, um, nonprofits reach out to the community to like these kids need like more assistance in keeping up their dental hygiene to give back to the community, yeah, which is a great, fantastic stance. And put. what were you yourself doing? Like when you went into your internship, what would you do in a typical day? In a typical day, I would um, usually um, craft like a end-of-the-month reports mm-hmm. um, for the month previous of like financials. I was working more in the admissions or administration side. Yeah. Um, just to see, because I was working with like the more clinical side. Um, and there the are also past. limits, I assume, on how much you can like touch people right. if you don't aren't right. licensed or that is yeah. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> Great, um, happy to hear it. <laughs> you don't want an unlicensed not dentist to be correct messing around. You know? I like you a lot, Yuki, but I do not want you coming after me with the dental tools. <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> and I wouldn't either. I wouldn't yeah, want to either. Right, exactly. That sounds scary. <laughs> <laughs> so a lot of kind of looking at the components of how the business is right, run, right. which actually makes sense because you mentioned your business minor also right that I imagine that's interesting to you on an academic level too it was it was um I really got to look at the demographics of the people um who are being helped through this like nonprofit work um by like breaking down demographics and like creating a report on um like an annual report oh that was one uh a thing that I worked on there was I built the annual report for the 2018 um, financial year um, that consisted of like the profits, the deficits, the demographics that were being helped. Wow. And, um, yeah. As, as well as like some, I, re- I got to reach out to some of the prior patients um, and ask for like um, their, like their experience within the organization and the clinic itself. Um which is really nice. Yeah. Did having this experience change the way you think about dentistry as a profession at all? Definitely. I thought, I think originally I thought dentistry was more about the sheer amount of knowledge you have about like dental work and dental hygiene and just as like as a science more. Now that I've had this experience, it's more about like patient care and it's more about what it means to give back to people that like are a part of your community and like building that community together with through or I mean through dentistry really which is nothing I've ever like thought about like building a community through dental work is like way outside of what I was thinking originally 
which was wonderful to experience. Hi, I'm Tori Hansen, Assistant Director of Admission at Puget Sound, working with students in the Mid-Atlantic and in the San Francisco Bay Area, as well as all of our transfer students. If you like what you hear on this podcast, you can learn even more about Puget Sound by coming to campus. Schedule your visit at pugetsound.edu visit. We'd love to host you. Yuki, the other thing I really want to talk to you about uh, is that you work in residence life. I do. At Puget Sound. What's your job? I am a resident assistant. And so commonly known as an RA. Yes. What does that actually mean? What kinds of things do you do? I like to put it as an older sibling to the first years in order for them to have a smooth transition into college. Mm -hmm. Um, Some people might put it as a narc or a snitch (laughs) 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 because of how connected I am with the the conduct process. But I do think there's a difference. Like, I think it's important that you view yourself as a peer and a mentor and not as an authority figure, Mm -hmm. even though the health and safety parts of the job are a part of your job. Right, right. It is definitely like an important part of the job. But from my perspective, it's a minor part of the job. Is this your first year as an RA? This is my second year. It's your second. Yeah. And why did you decide to apply for this job? Um, originally I really wanted to apply for the job because I had such a wonderful experience my first year Mm. with my resident assistant. Um, her name was Natalie alum. Um, she really was like, uh, such a caring person in that, like, um, she really noticed when I wasn't feeling myself that day and really just like all, all she did was like come up to me and say, hi, how are you? And asked about my day, but it really made the whole, a whole lot of a difference in my first year. And now that you're doing it yourself, Mm -hmm. do you notice any patterns in kind of how the year goes for first year students, either that mirror your experience or that are new for these folks? Yeah, it's actually like, there's, there's definitely a trend (laughs) in that the first week or first month at least of your first year what like what I saw what I see in general as a whole in the first year is that they really try to just connect with anyone and anyone like available you need friends you need like you need friends yeah people need friends (laughs) people need friends (laughs) and that I think to me as like a second year and third year now um it's kind of funny (laughs) because there's so many things that like I really like connected with and like so many things that like I definitely didn't see in myself my first year but definitely saw it as an RA Mm -hmm. like noticed it or didn't think that you did it at all (laughs) um I I don't think I did it at all yeah my first year but as an RA (laughs) I can look back and say that I definitely did. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that that was part of being your experience overly too. social, being overly extroverted than I like, and that I actually was. I think there is sort of a I don't know quite what the right way to say this is, but like a period where you need to back off that a little bit. Mm-hmm. 
And whether you react to the stress of coming to a totally new, totally new place by like being a big extrovert right. or whether you react to it by sort of like hunkering down and mm-hmm. needing to exert a lot of effort in just getting out into the world. Right. The first couple of weeks of college for me in my life and then as I watch that process in other people's mm-hmm. lives have always felt to me like they're just sort of overexposed. Right. Right. Like right. What, whatever you're doing, you're doing a lot of it. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of emotional investment. Right. And then actually by around this time of the year, although not always, but mm-hmm. generally I feel like I see people starting to sort of ease into a more of a normal right. life. Right. Does that feel fair? Definitely. Yeah. Um, I can actually pinpoint to like a specific date. Um, like the midterm week, the week of midterm is like definitely like a tipping point Yeah. in that either students are able to like have those connections that can last a, honestly a lifetime and really ease into the the groove of things after um, the midterms week um, where they have like a support system where they can like go to their friends and talk about whatever in, within their lives or there are students who have sadly like missed those connections and just need, need a little bit of more help and support. Although I, I'll say too, I think that's absolutely true that that time of the year is an inflection point. Mm-hmm. But I also don't think it's the only inflection point. I think it's just the first one. Right. And if right. you are one of those people who misses those connections, it's easy to be like, man, all these people around me have all these. Like, I didn't feel, you'll be shocked to hear this given what a socially competent person I am, but I didn't feel like I had actual good, close like circles of friends mm-hmm. in college until my second year of college altogether. Yeah. Like I had individuals that I liked a lot and felt close to and still value in my life. Mm-hmm. But there were like a couple of those people and then there were like a lot of convenience friends. Right. And I didn't feel like I had my footing really until like 14 months later. And it was for me really easy to look around and be like, "Oh my god, I'm doing this wrong. Look at all these people with all their friends and all their connections." Um, but it really is a long game. You know, that's definitely true. Um, like looking at my life, I definitely, I'm definitely hanging out with friends that I made my like second year and through, through on. Which is one of the nice things I always thought about Puget Sound, Mm -hmm. that there's not really a cap on that. No. And people don't really care about, like this is something I say to high school students a lot and they're often sort of struck by Mm -hmm. is that people don't care what grade you're in in college definitely not (laughs) right (laughs) like those kind of artificial divisions aren't really a thing anymore it's not it's definitely not um my friends and i like to say that once you're a freshman you're always a freshman (laughs) (laughs) and that you're always making new connections you are already always like discovering something new about puget sound about tacoma Mm -hmm. um i definitely can feel that um even as a third year um constantly discovering something new about the city of Tacoma Mm -hmm. and how like bootstrap and like strong it is um I definitely like discovering how like Puget Sound as a university is like making tremendous steps in terms of like I see it in like diversity in terms of like diverse thought Mm -hmm. um professors even the students that come in year after year the quality of them are like just increasing. It's wonderful to see. Yeah, I think about listening to you talk about people sort of getting more engaged with Puget Sound and more engaged with Tacoma. Mm-hmm. I think about it kind of in concentric circles. And it doesn't work this way for everybody, but I think you land 
on campus, then that's your spot. Mm-hmm. And then you branch out to sort of that first group of friends. Then you maybe branch out to a second group mm-hmm. of friends. You start to get more comfortable with campus. Right. Um, and then likewise, the same process happens in Tacoma, right? Like mm-hmm. you are on 6th Ave or in Proctor, which are the two neighborhoods closest to campus. And right. then as you get comfortable with that, you maybe branch out a little bit more mm-hmm. and go downtown. And then maybe intellectually, you start to, you're interning at a nonprofit dental clinic mm-hmm. or you are tutoring at a Tacoma Public School. So you're starting to be engaged in the community in a way that goes beyond Mm -hmm. living here. Mm -hmm. And that kind of gradual process is another pattern that I notice in a lot of people's lives. And I think, like, Puget Sound specifically is very conducive of that. Mm. And that, like, there is a culture here that, like, really pushes students to engage with the community surrounding the campus. Um, Because there's no boundary walls or, like, fences Mm -hmm. that, like dictate where Puget Sound ends and Tacoma starts um, because of the people, the students going out to their community and volunteering at different nonprofit organizations because there are students, seniors who are working in the private sector of Tacoma. Um, I definitely feel the culture that like students are more conducive of like going out, branching out, reaching out to people within the com- community see what they can do. And I think, too, that ethos that you're describing really makes it clear that we're in Tacoma and not Seattle, <laughs> right? And I think a Definitely. lot, not that Seattle's not great. I grew no. up in Seattle, yeah, big Seattle's fan. Awesome. <laughs> but I do think we get a lot of students, certainly I get a lot of students who come up to me mm-hmm. for their first conversation about Puget Sound ever at a mm-hmm. college fair and say like, oh, so this is Seattle, Right. And it's like, well, you can have that image in your head. Right. Mm-hmm. Like if that's going to help you to visualize the shades of green and right. the ocean and the rain. And, and that's what I came came in. Totally. With. Yeah. yeah. And, and some of those ideas that you have will be true. Right. There's some mm-hmm. regional similarities. Right. Um, but Tacoma is really its own thing. Tacoma it's its own is place. not Seattle. It's, and it's not Seattle. <laughs> it's not Seattle. <laughs> and I think for me, especially given that I had the experience of learning that also, mm-hmm. watching people start to figure that out on their own terms according to the things that they care about and want to be involved in right. is a pretty cool evolution. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. As an RA, Yuki, what are your like top two or three tips for first-year students? Or or more than three, but what are the things to really be heads up to, tips for success? I think the top two tips. I think definitely the first one is use the resources available. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of students, especially if you're first year, it's, it's natural to not to use the resources on campus because you don't know them. Right. But um, try to like, especially ask your RAs about like, if there are resources to help you on academics or if there's any clubs that might, like, um, coincide with your interests, um, ask your RA, ask your advisors. Um, definitely try to, like, use the resources available on campus. Like, in Puget Sound, we have um, the CWLT, mm-hmm. Center for Writing, Learning, and Teaching. It's, like, a wonderful, like, tutoring like area that I didn't use my first year and <laughs> really regret. Mm-hmm. Um, but I started my second year and it's like made the whole world of a difference. You know, um, the CHAWS, the um, Counseling Health and Wellness Center. It's I didn't use the counseling services that's like free for all students my first year and used them my second year. And yeah. I was in a way more positive like mental state and was able to like 
focus on my academics and focus on my career. Yeah. That's a great tip. Yeah. I think second tip is that is to be just don't worry too much. <laughs> um, first year, like if your first year is rocky, it's natural that it's rocky. It's you're in a different environment. Yeah. You're in a whole different type of like setting, friends, um, location. Um, so don't worry too much, I think, which is something hard to do, but <laughs> it's definitely true. Yuki, we end all of our conversations by asking everybody the same four questions. Mm -hmm. First question is, what's the best place on campus? I love Oppenheimer Cafe. Mm -hmm. It's the Salt Crystal Cafe. <laughs> um, you should a, explain what you mean by that. <laughs> it's a glass dome cafe modeled after a salt crystal. The floor is heated. I bring in my blanket during finals week to just <laughs> pop on the floor. Um, but they have the best coffee on campus, even though the coffee on campus is all the same. But. <laughs> <laughs> what are you reading right now? I am currently reading um, Franz Kafka's Metamorphosis. Mm. Um, it's a short read, but I just keep it with me just because it's interesting, has the absurdity of bureaucracy, and I thought I think that's kind of interesting. Are you reading that for class? Or are you no, just reading I'm just it? reading that just because. <laughs> What's the best place to eat in Tacoma? Um, Tacoma, I would say I love Indo-Asia eatery. Mm -hmm. It's like in downtown. It has a lot of Japanese food, which is what... I'm accustomed to back home, so, yeah. And lastly, Yuki, what makes Puget Sound special? I think what Pu makes Puget Sound special is how engaged the students are within the university, within the Tacoma community. Um, it's really just bootstrap. You just got to lift yourself up and just work hard. And I think the work hard um, type of culture here is really prevalent and it's really encouraging to see because you get to see some people like succeed within their field and it's really just fun to celebrate those successes. Yuki Hashimoto, thanks for joining me on the Puget Sound podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you to our guest and to you, the listener. You can follow Puget Sound on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at UNIV, U-N-I-V, Puget Sound. And we hope you'll join us next time for another episode of P.S. The Puget Sound Podcast. <laughs>